Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, one of the things I love or I loved about my childhood is playing in the woods. Anybody else have woods when they, where they grew up? That was before they realized they could put a, put a house every single place in a neighborhood, right? They kept woods and you could go around and we just had this large patch of woods behind my house that connected to the back of my friend's house. And we used to just love running in and playing in the paths. And, you know, we used to play war back there with our finger guns and sticks. We were poor. That's all we could afford, okay? We used to play with yellow jackets nests. That was fun. Those stories would come up a different day. We used to, well, start fires. I mean, other people did. Sorry, Mom, it wasn't me. It was other people used to do things like that. And one of the funnest things we did was build forts. Anybody else? Yeah, okay, good. I'm getting some participation. I'm excited about this. We used to build forts. And what we did was steal all the stuff from our houses that hopefully our parents didn't notice in order to build those forts, right? Take half of the sheets. Maybe they won't notice half being gone. Of course they did, but we did it anyways. And so one of the forts we built was actually like a tree fort. We actually decided to, hey, let's build one up a little ways. It was probably 10 foot in the air, and we all did the construction together. None of us actually knew what we were, go- what we were doing, had any construction experience at all. And one of the things that naturally happens when you decide to do something like that is after you kind of get the, the base down, you look and go, well... Who's actually going to go up there? And then, well, who's going to see if it can hold two people? Because that's a pretty long fall, right? And, and unlike most of my stories, this one wasn't so bad. I mean, this, this fort held until somebody caught it on fire, and it really wasn't me. Like, in all seriousness, it wasn't, but that's what happened to that fort. Anyways, regardless of fires, I have no idea why I'm bringing them up so much today. We've all experienced the now what part of life the follow through where we've made a decision or we think about a decision or we believe something and then we have to wonder, am I gonna follow through on this? Like, am I actually gonna get up in the fort? But we've done this with our jobs. You may have had a bad week or a bad month or just a quite a long hard time at your career and then another one comes up and you wonder, am I really gonna follow through and apply? Am I really gonna go through the interview? Am I really gonna take all that time and effort? I mean, am I serious about this, right? It gives you this tension, like, am I really gonna move forward? How about with your diet? Every Monday, right, we break our diet and then we say, well, I know I should do this. Am I really gonna stick to it? And then we go, well, next, next Monday, right? Am I really gonna follow through with it in our marriage, right? How easy are the vows to say, You just repeat after somebody. The marriage vows are super easy, but the follow through? Because for better or worse, I mean, worse can be difficult, can it? Yeah, that follow through part. We often face tension about the decision or our beliefs about, are we gonna follow through with this decision? And the now what is the section we're at in Hebrews. The now what do we do in light of everything we believe? You see, the author of Hebrews has laid this deep theological foundation about Jesus Christ. 
He's laid the foundation of Jesus being the prophet, the priest, and the king. He's tied the Old Testament, all the sacrificial systems, the priests. He's tied that together with what Jesus has done, and, and they fit so perfectly. He's, he's talked and just developed this deep theological understanding of who he is. And In fact, he's talked about what happens when it gets difficult in our faith, and he talks about how we're going to be disciplined as children. I mean, he's laid some pretty good groundwork, but then he lays into the well, in light of all of that, in light of all of that stuff, here's the now what, here's what you need to do. How do we live out the gospel community is what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about the journey of community. How then, because of the gospel, in light of the gospel, what are some ways that together, what are some things together we should be striving for, some things we should be looking for. And throughout the book, he's laid down several warnings and they come kind of crashing together in these few verses we're going to look at this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 14 through 17 this morning. He says this, he says, make every effort to live in peace with, what's that word? Everyone, right, and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is our call to action, and notice, we're not called to be passive about peace. We're not supposed to withdraw from people, withdraw from conflict. We're not supposed to withdraw and pretend it doesn't exist. He says, make every effort, that means be intentional to make peace with everyone. Remember, Jesus told us, he said, blessed are the what? Yeah, the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. And this means in our work. This means in our communities. This means in our families. This means in our marriages. Now, my kids' parents, they can be rather stubborn. And when they, some of y'all, it's gonna take you a minute. You'll understand who I'm talking about there. And when they decide they wanna fight about something, usually something about very, something very small. But when these two decide they want to fight, they take their ground and they make a stand. And now look, don't let Jessica fool you. She's tough. That's why I fell in love with her. She would not put up with anything, anything. And I just found that awesome. And so when she doesn't like something, she decides she's going to let me know. And maybe in your household, maybe in your marriage, maybe you've struggled with that. Well, there's not peace, but... I need to be right here. Have you ever felt that you needed to be right in an argument? Don't lie about it. You're in church, right? Yeah, of course you have. You said, I need to be right. And you go, well, how can I make peace? How can I strive to peace when they're wrong? Well, you can just look at this verse. It says, make every effort. Go back. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. So what you can do is go, well, I'm going to be the better Christian. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be right, but I'm going to be the better Christian than them. And I'm gonna make peace with my spouse. That might be terrible marriage advice, but you get the point. We are to be peacemakers everywhere. Even we think we're wrong, we should be striving for peace because of the peace that Christ has brought us. He has brought us peace, so therefore we go out and seek peace. We're not only to make an effort at being peaceful, but also holy. And holy means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified. Holiness is a characteristic of God that we should, we should copy. It means to be pure. It means to be, well, we said sanctified, but it means to be pure. It's godliness in our lives. 
And of course, God, when we are in Christ, when we come to Jesus Christ, we are made holy at once because of his works, but we are to make every effort that means strive for holiness, that means strive to be a saint, what's been declared about us in Christ, we strive to live out in our everyday life. And he says, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We're going to apply that in two ways. First is you and I, if we are true believers, if we are, if we have embraced the gospel, it will inform our actions. We should strive to be holy. We should strive to be pure. We should strive for the things of God. And it doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time. But like an athlete, they have to discipline themselves as they have to continue to get better, continue to train. As Christians, we want to keep striving for holiness as well. But the second application is, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, what about the people in your lives? See, holiness is not only vital for our relationship, but it's vital so other people see Jesus and see God in our lives. Our lives should be lived in a way that they're a testimony for Jesus Christ. We shouldn't live double lives. But unfortunately, many of us were actually taught to live double lives. You see, the church was the place that we come to and we do our best. In fact, the church was the place you come to, you were supposed to dress the best. The church is the place you came to on the way when you opened your doors, you screamed at your kids. I do it too. We're at church. You don't act that way at church. I mean, everywhere else, eh, but at church. All right, we teach our kids that when you gather together with the Lord's people, you're supposed to be different. And we accidentally teach them, and we grew up with this, you accidentally are taught that when you get to church, you have to be different. You can't be you. You have to be different because you're around God's people. You have to be holy. And so we've all grown up with this idea that we have our church clothes. In fact, we have a church face. How many of you have a church face? No one's going to admit that. You have a church face. This is probably the only place you smile ever. Because when you're here, you're supposed to smile because we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to act different when we come to church. But I need you to know that is not a biblical idea. That is social pressure. That you come together to look good in front of other people. You see, throughout the church world, throughout our culture, and you know this as well as I do, the number one complaint about the church is what? Well, they're hypocrites. All right, you've ever heard that before? A hypocrite is a play actor. A hypocrite is somebody who acts differently or conforms differently when they're somewhere else. So what they're saying is, when you're there, you're different than you're everywhere else, which we're like, yeah, but our parents told us to be that way. But why would we come to church and act different? What, what good is a community of people who gather together to pretend everything is good? I mean, what, what good is that for us? How does that help us? Well, rather, we should be us and come together to be authentic and grow. We should strive honestly for holiness everywhere we go. See, people shouldn't be surprised to find out that we're Christians. They shouldn't go, oh, you, you go to church? Oh, my goodness, I would have never guessed you went to church. Right, We don't just do our best at church, we do our best everywhere. Every single Christian has the exact same mission statement. You are to bring glory to God in all that you do. 
Absolutely everything. Everything you do, you should bring glory to God. Doesn't matter if you're at church or if you're at home or if you're at work or you're on the ball field. You do everything you can for the glory of God. Because you never know, you may be the only Christian influence in somebody's life. You may be the only way they see the gospel. You, you may be the only way someone hears about the gospel. You say, well, Ron, how can I hear the gospel? Well, you could talk to them about it. Or it's, sometimes they can hear the gospel with the stories you don't say. On Monday morning, everybody gathering together talking about their weekend. Maybe it's the things you aren't talking about. Then go, hey, well, something's different about you. And when there's stress and anxiety in the political season, you're not worried. You're not frantic. You're like, no. no I got, my God's got this. That holiness, that purity, we live that in a world people can see Christ in us in everything we do. So we are to make, make, well, make an effort. We try to live in peace with everyone and make an effort to be holy in all that we do, which must include when we come to church. Because the world is full of anxiety, the world is full of stress, the world is full of heartache, the world is tough. When we come here, we strive for peace. We strive for holiness. So people come in and see there's something different about us. Nobody needs another environment that is stressful, do they? Everybody have enough of those in their life? Yeah, we want to come to church to be encouraged and to be built up. And this should be a profitable time when we gather together. Then we get built up and we get encouraged here to go back out in the world and do it all over again the place where we come to be built up and to be encouraged and inspired to follow the Lord. You see, as a community, we must make every effort to care for the well-being of our fellow believers. Because each one of us are on a mission for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we're about to see is while we strive for these things, if we are to care and love one each other, that means we must also watch out for some other things, some dangers, dangers that could be devastating to our community life. And he's about to talk about them. Here it goes. Verse 15. He says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. I spent six hours and 17 books studying that sentence this week because it bothered me so bad. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitterness root grows up that causes trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless. We're going to camp here for a while. You see, the Greek word see to it is also translated as overseeing. It's the idea of watching out for, be alert, danger is ahead. And then he lists three things we're going to talk about in depth that we as a community, this is very important, not me as a pastor, but we as a community of people are called to watch out for. First one he lists, he says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. You see, the word translated fall short means to miss out on something by one's own fault. The idea is forfeit, give up. The picture here is somebody forfeiting or giving up through careless, careless action, neglecting the salvation 
of God. Because this word grace here, and I promise I studied, but that word grace in this verse is speaking about salvation. That's what he's talking about, the salvation. And this brings us to a theological issue, especially prevalent in, in Baptist circles. You've been a Baptist for a long time. You understand what I'm talking about. You see, we've avoided this issue so far in Hebrews. He's talked about it a lot, but we're going to talk about it today. The idea is, can somebody forfeit? Can somebody actually give up their salvation? Can a person who is saved stop being saved? The writer of Hebrews seems to be warning us about this very issue. In fact, this is the fifth time he's warned about it. Is there a possibility? We think, well, what about eternal security? Which teaches that people cannot give up their salvation. They cannot forfeit their salvation. It's, it's the idea of once saved, always saved. And this, of course, just to remind you, is more than just the theological issues for pastors or professors. This is something that we all deal with because all of us have people in our family or friends that seem to have walked away and we wonder, are they still saved? Were they ever saved? I mean, we want to feel good about it, but, but what's going on there? We want to know the answer. So it's to, more, to our comfort, we want to believe that they're still okay. Yet the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that no one forfeits, no one gives up their salvation. We ask, does that mean someone can? Well, the Apostle John says it like this. First John 2.19, he says this. He says, they went out from us being the church, just to be clear, being the church, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Should we say, John, your gospel is all about love and caring. This is, this is tough. He's saying if people have chosen to remove themselves from the fellowship of believers, then they're not actually a believer at all. They never were. Perhaps they were learning, perhaps they were interested, perhaps they grew up in it. But if they remove themselves, if they, because if, as we've talked about before, removal from the church is actually a discipline matter. Self-removal doesn't make any sense when you understand what the community of God's people are. He's saying if they have self-removed, if they have left, they weren't actually believers anyways. Now, here's my point. It doesn't matter where you learned on eternal security. Here's why. You come down to this basic point. At the end of the day, the argument goes all to the same place. You can either say, yes, someone can give up their salvation and they walked away. Or if they've walked away, John would say, well, they weren't really believers anyways. Either way, the same thing comes to point. But what we need to understand is absolutely nowhere in the Bible does it offer anyone any comfort who has walked away from the faith family. The Bible does not offer comfort if people remove themselves, if they walk away at all. Because theologians on all sides agree, I mean absolutely everyone, that throughout the New Testament, a true relationship with God results in a lifestyle of obedience. It's being committed. It's following. You see, you should not be confident in your salvation if there's no evidence of salvation in your life. 
If you aren't following Jesus, if you weren't worried about Jesus, if you're not interested in the things of God, you should not feel confident. You should not be comfortable. We should never give anyone a false sense of security about salvation. Because think about it. If you're not interested in worshiping or celebrating the things of God and the things that he's done in your life, if you're not interested in who he is and what he's done, if you don't even have any concern for him, why would you be comfortable that you think you're going to meet him? To which the writers were like, no, no, no. Examine your salvation. Check yourself. Watch out. Make sure you believe. And nobody's saying you have to work your way into heaven. And nobody's saying that you can't sin and mess up. But regardless on the issue, what they're saying is, see to it, watch people's salvation. Because as a faith community, we need to be concerned about people's salvation. Oh, well, it will come up eventually. As a faith community, we need to be, here it is, we need to be concerned about people's salvation. We need to take salvation serious. I mean, being saved is a thing. Being born again is a thing. Ensuring that people don't just grow up in church and know a lot about Jesus, but have accepted him and rely upon him and trust in him and follow him and accept his sacrifice is an important thing. See, one of the biggest misunderstandings in the Baptist church, and I'm a Baptist pastor who went to Baptist seminaries. I'm allowed to say this. Does that make sense? I'm allowed to say this. One of the biggest misunderstandings in the Baptist church is the autonomy of the individual. Not of the church, of course, we believe that. But of the individual, where we say, this is my salvation, this is a personal thing between me and the Lord, how dare anybody say anything about it, or how dare I, how dare I speak in anybody else's life? I mean, this is all about me. To which I'd say, no. Baptism is public. There's a reason why we make a public declaration of faith. There's a reason why we make a public statement about joining a church. There's a reason we're public about those things because it's a community thing. Salvation isn't just me and the Lord. Salvation is me and the church. Now, he saves me, but together we work it out and together we work through it. As a faith community, we must be concerned about people's salvation, but as a faith community, we must preach the gospel. We must absolutely preach the gospel. We must continually remember and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We must never take for granted that people know Jesus, they have accepted Jesus, and they're living for Jesus. We must never take for granted that our friends or our family, we want to encourage them, we want to teach them, we want to talk about it amongst our families. We want to talk about Jesus. Because do you know I've never met a parent who is afraid to talk about their kids? because they knew their kids and they were excited about their kids. And I've never met a person who was afraid to talk about Jesus who knew him and was excited about him. If you know him and you're excited about him, you'll talk about him. Just like you will your kids. The more we know, the more we understand, the deeper we go in that relationship, the more excited we'll be with what he's doing in our lives. As a faith community, we must be concerned about people's walk with the Lord. Because we care for them. I mean, you care about what your kids do, don't you? You care about what your family members do. If they're making really bad decisions that's gonna harm them and, and perhaps their physical health, would you let them know? If your kids were about to go bungee jumping without a bungee, would you let them know that's not a good idea? Yeah, absolutely. You definitely wouldn't be like, hey, this, this isn't gonna work out in your favor. But we need to encourage people to continue to live and experience the grace of God. 
We need to continually teach them to give your life over to Jesus. You say, well, I've done that once. No, no, no. All of your life. That's a continual process. Every aspect of your life, your marriage and your kids and your finances and your time. And it's a thing we're going to have to continually repeat because we sin. Continually live in his grace and not drift away. Look, people drift away from the church for all sorts of reasons. Even people who are saved go through troubled times. But if someone has no interest in worshiping the Lord, that needs to be a warning sign. It needs to be a warning sign. And if they are truly saved and you call them, do you know what? If somebody is saved and they pulled away from the church, by their, they're just like, ah, God's going to be doing something in here. God's going to be working on them in here. And that one phone call you make or that one letter you make may write, guess what it's going to do? It's going to encourage them. God's going to use you to prompt them going, you know what? He's been working on me anyways. I know I need to get back into that because salvation is a real thing. Salvation isn't just a transaction I make one time with Jesus. Salvation is an ongoing life commitment to follow him, and it's challenging, and it's hard, and my goodness, we need other people around us to encourage us in those efforts. Not the effort of earning my salvation, but the, and the effort of being holy and living that lifestyle. And so our next steps as a church, understand that studying and working through Hebrews and seeing these warnings over and over again has been ridiculously convicting to me. It's reminding me of how important we must take people who fall away or walk away from the church. It's a clear sign that something's wrong. And when you look at our membership list, it's about 1,500 people. So we're talking before COVID. We're not, I'm not talking about COVID issues today, by the way. But we didn't have 1,500 people here a year and a half ago, did we? You're like, I don't know, there was two services. We didn't have 1,500 people here. I'm just letting you know. We didn't. So what I've done is I've asked Rocky to go through and contact every single person on the membership list. First, he's calling them to say, hey, we're just calling you to see if you have any prayer requests, what's going on. Check in on them. Also, let them know that, hey, we've missed you. We understand COVID. We're not talking about that, but we understand COVID. And let you know that you are on our membership list. And we're going to ensure that people want to stay on that membership list. We don't want to push anybody off of it. Of course not. We want to find out who wants to be members of First Baptist Church. And you say, well, Brian, why are you doing that? Because we are going to bother the living daylights out of those who have committed to this church. We're going to call them. We're going to send them letters. We're going to put together team members of church members to pester them and call them. We're going to use peer pressure for the glory of God. We're going to ensure that they know that we don't think it's okay that you've walked away. We don't, I'm not talking about COVID. Please just put that to side. But we don't think it's okay that you've walked away. We don't think it's okay that you're not serious. Because according to the writer of Hebrews, this is a really big deal. And we think it's a big deal. So we want to encourage our members to take church, our faith, serious. In fact, I had a really good idea from one of my professors. He enrolled all members in a Sunday school class and then and then sicked Sunday school classes on them as well. So they just like 15 people calling them every week going, where you at? How come you're not at church? Would that encourage you to come if that was happening? You'd either make a decision to go, hey, I'm not going there anymore. I got to change my membership or 
Because if, if it's a big deal being a church member, which we all agree it is, then we need to take it serious. Because we are told to see to it that nobody falls short of the grace of God. Nobody drifts away or walks away and just kind of goes and does their own thing. Then he says this, number two. He says, see to it that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble. Because he's dealing with people who've walked away from the faith and how much we know, if you've studied this in Hebrews on your own, he, he quotes the Old Testament all the time. He's actually specific, uh, he's speaking to a specific thing. It's found in Deuteronomy 28. It says this. Yep. Uh, excuse me, 29. He says, 2019, this was Moses. He says, make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away. Remember, that's what he was just talking about. Heart turns away from the Lord God to go ahead and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. So we know this is what he's referring to. You see, some people walk away in unbelief but some people choose to stay in unbelief because the benefit of the community is what they want. But the beliefs and, and this Jesus thing, they don't want anything to do. And Moses says they are poisonous. Don't misunderstand. He's not talking about people who don't believe and want to come check it out and who want to learn or people who are struggling, people who are growing, things of that nature. It's not what he's speaking to. He's speaking to people who have turned away from orthodox beliefs, people who've turned away from Jesus. They worship, they believe other things, and they're being poisonous. They're causing trouble. They're trying to, well, not encourage people to follow Jesus, but questioning all the things about Jesus. Not with the goal of understanding to grow in our faith in Jesus, but to push people to question their faith. Well, we don't need that in church. What we believe matters. And we say, well, does something, something like that happen in a church? Absolutely it does. Where people no longer believe the orthodox, the standard things about Jesus and want to start trouble and be bitter about the things of Jesus. That's why every church has a statement of faith that these are agreed upon beliefs and, and this is where we land. These are what we're going to teach. And as a church, remember, we are entrusted with the spiritual growth of other people. In fact, do you know I trust everybody here with the spiritual growth of my ch children? Do you know how important that is to a family? In the world, I don't know if you've paid attention to recently, society's changed a little bit, hasn't it? Maybe since you've grew up. Yeah, it's no longer a standard Christian understanding of Christian morals and Christian beliefs that's being taught everywhere we go. It's the exact opposite. And so when you have young kids and you have young people, you're dealing with this every day about people not worrying about Jesus and kids taught some crazy things. And the last thing we need as parents or perhaps you need as parents or grandparents is to bring your kids into a church and have that still being taught. This should be a safe place where we know that our teachers will learn about Jesus. Our, our kids will grow in their Bible knowledge. We are entrusting that. You see, when COVID struck, well, we all stayed away from each other for a while. It's been a year and we still social distance from each other because we don't want the virus to affect us or to affect others because it could cause bodily harm. How much more should we social distance from someone who's trying to poison our spiritual growth? 
even of our kids. That's what he's saying. Watch out for that. He's not talking about an intellectual conversation. He's being poisonous. They're being bitter to the things of the Lord. The third thing he says to watch out for is this. He says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless. And we're like, oh my goodness, I know. It comes up all the time in the Bible. All the time these things come up. You say, well, how in the world can we do that, Brian? I mean, how, how is that even possible? First, we have to understand sexual morality is an actual sin. It, the, the idea is today that well, everybody can do what they want. It doesn't work out. It won't work out for you. It has never worked out for anybody Sexual immorality is a sin, and the sins have devastating effects to you and your family, and you know this already. And so as a community, we have to understand that sexual morality, well, is a big deal because the Bible says it's a big deal over and over again. And in fact, I've done a whole series about sex, if you want to go back and listen to it. So I don't need to repeat myself, but first we have to understand that sexual morality is a sin. But secondly, the, the way that we see to it that, or we watch out for it, what has to be of public things. It has to be of like public events that we aren't affirming when someone is publicly sinning. We understand there's a difference between private sins and public sins, right? For instance, we all notice when a politician does this publicly, what happens? It's a big deal. If they do it privately, how many of you know about it? None, right? So when a politician publicly does something like a sexual scandal, it brings shame on the whole office, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. You don't want shame to be brought on the whole church because someone is publicly embraced and publicly living this lifestyle. We need to say, no, 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 no. That's, that's not okay. That doesn't mean we, we go search around in people's house to try to catch church members doing stuff. I mean, no. This is a public thing. If someone chooses to be public about it, then we then have to say, no, I'm sorry. We, we can't affirm that that's okay. And then godless, this word godless means, means worldly, means things of the world. Someone who has the concerns of man over the concerns of God. Best example I can give is remember when Jesus told his disciples, he told Peter, Peter confessed he was the Messiah, and Jesus says, well, I'm gonna go to the cross, I'm gonna die, but three days later, I'm gonna raise again. Peter was taking notes and he's like, no, no. He rebuked Jesus publicly and he said, Lord, that will never happen to you. Jesus looked at him and said this, Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me. That wasn't his nickname, by the way. He's referring to who he's being influenced by. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in the mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Being worldly is thinking about, well, me, myself, and I. It's thinking about my concerns, thinking about just basic human things where we're not even thinking or considering God and faith in the man matter. We're just more worried about what we think more than what God thinks or what God would like. So as a faith community, in light of the gospel, he says this, Hebrews 12. He says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root, stir, uh, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexual, moral, or is godless. And here's the rest. Next verse. He says, like Esau, Remember Esau? He said, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son? 
Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. It's his elaborate way of saying actions or inaction has consequences. Esau carelessly gave up his birthright, what was, what was ordained to be given to him for an immediate meal, for self-gratisfaction right then and there, not worrying about what the future holds from his decisions. And we think, well, I, would, I would never do that. I would never, for an immediate meal, give up my inheritance. I mean, who would ever be so short-sighted? That's the author says, well, you would. Anytime you focus on perhaps the immediate right now, how it feels right now versus what it will do in the future, you are doing the same thing Esau did. Anytime you don't want to deal with a hard issue or deal with that thing right then, maybe you've dealt this, like, I don't really want to mess with that. And we let it go, and then what happens later on? Say, like, oh my goodness, I should have dealt with that a while ago. Well, how about this? You ever used a credit card to buy something that you didn't need, but you wanted it? You ever done that a couple times a month? And then when the bill comes due, you go, oh my goodness. Because all sin, every sin demands payment. Every sin will create a balance due. And quite often in our lives, we do sin and we do sin. And just like a credit card bill, all of a sudden payment will become due for all of them at once. And it doesn't matter how much you cry about it. Actions have consequences. Esau could have ate a ham sandwich. Couldn't have ate ham. He could have ate a turkey sandwich. <laughs> he could have ate a turkey sandwich, but instead he gave up his birthright. He's saying, listen, if you choose to ignore what I'm telling you, it will be devastating to your community. It will be completely devastating to your church if you ignore the things I'm telling you. Actions have consequences, and it doesn't matter how much you cry about the repercussions of what you've chosen to do. It doesn't matter because you're gonna have to live with it because you could have chosen to deal with it. That's what he's saying. Actions have consequences. You can't change some things. The greatest thing about our Lord and Savior we know is that our sin will never have the fullest effect on us. You mean, what do you mean, Brian? Oh, sin has tons of consequences, but it will never send you to hell if you know Jesus Christ. You will never feel the full weight and the consequences of your sin. Those have been taken away. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ for that. We will never feel the full weight of our sin, but we will have consequences on this earth from it. You mean God will... God will make me have to deal with it? Yeah. And you can't complain about it later because you chose to do that. See, think about what happened if a church doesn't take the gospel and salvation serious. Think about if a church doesn't care what everybody believes around them. Or think about if a church disregards sexual morality. Or what if a church just focuses more about what people think than what God thinks? We will look exactly like our culture exactly like our culture. There will be no differences. But you see, those things distinguish us as the people of God. 
that we believe that we need to be saved and that sin is real and that salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. We believe that turning your back on Jesus will have devastating consequences to your life. It's practical. We believe if you're not following Jesus and you're choosing to live worldly, we believe it's going to be devastating to your life. We believe that God created humans with a purpose, each and every one of us. And he created male and female differently, and they come together to continue the human line, that that's how we, oh, you understand what happens there. It's how we have kids. It's how we continue to flourish and grow. We believe that we have purposes, that we're not accidents, and how we're made is not an accident. And we believe that he still speaks and guides us towards holiness. And the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, in light of the gospel, in light of who Jesus is, this is the now what of a community. This is what your faith now pushes you, pushes you to do and watch out for. He says, so strive for peace and holiness. Watch out for those things we've mentioned. Be on guard against them. Be careful against them because they have devastating effects to your faith community. And I bet if we think about it, I bet if we think about any church we've seen perhaps close the door or dwindle down, I bet we can tie it back to one or maybe more of those issues. Because we cannot expect God to bless a church who's not listening to him or ignoring him. We absolutely cannot. So the writer of Hebrews says, here's the now what community. Come together, pay attention. Now, my plan was to teach this section along with chapter 13. As you see, that did not happen. So we're gonna have part two of this series this Wednesday. We're gonna pause our Luke study and we're gonna look at Hebrews chapter 13 this Wednesday. And if you weren't familiar, we have Wednesday night Bible study every, well, Wednesday at six o'clock. So if you wanna come to part two, which isn't as... It's not as rough, okay? It's not as many warnings. It's some really great stuff. Come back this Wednesday as we continue the sermon series where we continue to study more of the practical application of the gospel. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to your name of Jesus, Lord, and we just take these warnings serious. Lord, help us strive for holiness and peace. Lord, help us know those areas we need to walk towards purity, those areas we need to walk at making peace and living in peace and bringing harmony to our world. But also as a church, just help us be mindful and help us watch for those dangers. The dangers of just seeing our fellow brothers and sisters walk away or drift away and not being concerned. Lord, convict us to call. Convict us to speak to them because this is a big deal. Lord, help us collectively and individually be the front lines of our brothers and sisters who are falling away. All out of love. All because we care. Lord, help us as a church community come together, striving for peace and holiness to then help others know the peace and holiness found in you. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the forgiveness of our sins and that you offer grace to all of us. We're so thankful that we can commit our lives to you. We can repent from our sins and you'll forgive us. So Father, I pray that each one of us take a serious look at our lives to be honest about have we repented and accepted the grace of Jesus Christ? Have we truly given him our lives or are we still trying to work? Still trying to work towards earning our way in. Father, I pray you make that known to us. 
Father, we thank you and we love you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.